That exhilarating music you just heard was from a piano trio by Chicago composer Leo Sowerby. It's one of two pieces on a new album on CD Records titled Trios from the City of Big Shoulders with the Lincoln Trio. Those of you who have listened before know that every time we have a new release on CD Records, and this is our June 2021 release, we have a new classical Chicago podcast. I'm Jim Ginsberg, founder and president of Sadie Records, and I'm delighted that my guest on this podcast is Marta Aznavourian, pianist of the Lincoln Trio. Hi, Marta. Hi, Jim. How are you? Great. It's great to be doing this with you. I'm so excited about this album. I should mention that your colleagues on the Lincoln Trio are violinist Desiree Rustrat and cellist David Cunliffe, and this is the trio's seventh appearance, seventh different album on Sadie Records, and the trio's fourth featured all Lincoln Trio album for Sadie. And further note that your previous Sadie album, Trios from Our Homelands, was nominated for a Grammy. Why don't we start at the beginning and maybe you can talk about the trio's origin story and some of the group's performance highlights over the years. Yes, the trio started around 2003 We were all on faculty at the Music Institute of Chicago, which was then called the Music Center of the North Shore. At the time, Dr. Frank Little was the president, and he called us into his office, and he said, it would be wonderful if the three of you formed a piano trio. I'd like you to be called the Lincoln Trio, and it would be nice if you could be ensemble in residence at the school. We said yes to all three things, and that was the beginning of our trio. That's where it all started. That's lovely. I know that Trio has had some particularly meaningful performances in its past. Can you just run through some of those? Yeah. So soon after it started, we were performing at a party for Dale and Betsy Pinkert at their lovely home. And we were playing a Brahms trio at the time. And Wells Kaufman invited us to perform at Ravinia. And we got started with our wonderful relationship with Wells and Ravinia and all the Ravinia family. From there, we went on tour on behalf of the Ravinia Festival. And that tour kicked off at the bicentennial dinner celebration of Lincoln's birthday, where Barack Obama was giving a speech. So that was a big honor to perform there. We've been traveling, we've been recording, we've been playing locally and nationally and internationally. It's been quite a nice ride. Can't complain. <laughs> and of course, Wells Kaufman was president of the... Yes, of Ravinia. For, and for about 20 years, in fact. Mm-hmm. Just yes. recently came to the end of that very successful tenure. And the Lincoln Trio is the trio in residence at Chicago's Merritt School of Music. And of course, yes. Lincoln Trio is quite a history on CD, as I mentioned. In fact, before recording your first all trio album. The group appeared on three albums, especially the first two related to Chicago's Mm -hmm. Music in the Loft concert series. Can you talk a little bit about that? Our first disc was called Composers in the Loft, which was an homage to Freda Hyman, who was the founder and director of Music in the Loft. She was also the host of that five concert season every year, and their concerts were held in her beautiful loft near the west side of Chicago. And the CD was called Composers in the Loft because Freda was a strong advocate and fiercely promoted the partnership between the composer in residence that she carefully picked for the season with the ensembles and soloists that she also picked to perform in that season. And the disc was a compilation of a few of those composers that we worked with throughout the years on her series. 
Lincoln Trio wasn't the only ensemble that performed on that disc, but the composers that are included are Ricardo Lorenz, Carter Pan, Pierre Jalbert, Stacey Garrup, and Vivian Fung. Freda just wasn't a presenter. She took great pride in her artists and felt like a mother to them. She passed away in 2011, and I know her death was a great loss to many and to the music scene here in Chicago. Absolutely. And of course, that album celebrated the first five composers in residence, the Lincoln Trio playing the trio by Pierre Jalbert. And of course, you are the soloist on the piece by Ricardo Lorenz. Terrific little piece. It really was. And then your second album, the Billy Collins Suite, was also connected to Music in the Loft. That was an album with settings of the wonderful American Poet Laureate's verses. And then even your third album yes. has a bit of a connection because you play the piece Stacy Garrup, wonderful Chicago composer, wrote for the trio as a gift, Silver Dagger, based on a folk tune. And of yes. course, Stacy was one of those composers on that Composers in the Loft album yes. as well. So what was the trio's actual relationship to the series? I think you performed on it just about every year. That series started in 1992. And Actually, I was performing on that series with my sister probably in 1998 and 1999. And then we performed as a trio with her then-husband, Stefan Milankovic. That's how I started my relationship with Freda and the series. And then soon after, the trio came on board, and we played on her series for several years after that. Great. Before we get to your all-trio albums, I should also mention your appearance on an album on the Noxos label, called Annalise, based on the Diary of Anne Frank. It was a 2014 release, I believe, and that was also nominated for a Grammy. How did that come about? Yes, Annalise, it's a full-length choral work based on the Diary of Anne Frank, Um, Annalise being the full first name of Anne Frank. Of course, everyone refers to her shortened name of Anne. The music is composed by James Whitbourne, who is a British composer and conductor, also a childhood friend of David Cunliffe. He called David out of the blue, and he asked if the Lincoln Trio would be interested in collaborating with him on this project. And David, of course, said we'd be thrilled, and that's how that project got going. Wonderful. Well, now let's move on to Notable Women, which was the title of your Mm -hmm. first album for CD that was exclusively the Lincoln Trio, and that came out the year before on Leaskin in 2013. It's an all-women composer's album, hence the title. What was that experience like, and how did that album feature in the trio's development? Notable Women was an exciting time for the trio. It was our first full album as an ensemble. It is a compilation of six celebrated contemporary American female composers, Augusta Reed Thomas, Lara Auerbach, Stacey Garrup, Jennifer Higdon, Laura Schwendinger, which was actually a world premiere for us, and Joan Tower. And I really think there was something about the concentration of the six strong female composers with their equally intense, complex, and powerful trios, which made an impression on our audience and really packed quite a punch. Yeah, it certainly got the critical notices to back up that statement. And you <laughs> went on from there to record an album, actually a double disc, that featured mm-hmm. all the multiple strings and piano music of wonderful Spanish composer Joaquin Torina. Disc one was all the piano trios, and disc two was the yes. uh, piano quartet, piano quintet, and then quintet. a very unusually scored work for solo viola, piano, and string quartet. It's a really beautiful collection. 
And then that takes us to Trios from Our Homelands. And that was your second Grammy nomination, your first Grammy nomination for an album that's exclusively yours. And of course, you got to go to the Grammys and I got to see you because I was lucky enough to be nominated as a producer that year for a different Sadie album. So what was that experience like? Oh, the Grammys? It was great. It would have been even better had we won. <laughs> I should uh, note you lost to another Sadie Ensemble, Third yes, Coast Percussion that, is that true. year. Third Coast <laughs> Percussion. Well, well-deserved for them, and we were, of course, thrilled for them. But the nomination for us was a great honor in itself, and I believe it gave the trio more notoriety. I should note that that previous album was the subject of one of our first classical Chicago podcasts. That was episode five, released in August of 2016. This is episode 44, by the way, of the series. And Mm. I should note there's quite a difference here. This is a little more intimate with me talking directly to you, Marta. When we did that previous Mm. podcast, Steve Robinson was hosting these podcasts for us. He used to be the general manager of Chicago Classical Station WFMT. I would be there as well, the kibitz. And we also had the Mm. entire trio in the studio along with the recording engineer. So we had six people piled into a very small radio studio, something Mm -hmm. that is pretty unimaginable in March 2021 as we're recording this podcast Mm -hmm. right now from our separate locations. Nonetheless, let's move ahead to the current project and talk about how this came about and evolved. I should note that it's actually part of a planned two-album series of Chicago composers, and we'll talk more about that second album later in the podcast. But what was your inspiration for doing this Chicago composers-based project, and why record this music now? Well, after our Homelands disc, of course, we had traveled to each of our homelands in that particular CD. We should note those homelands are England for David, Switzerland for Desiree, and Armenia for you. Yes, so we had traveled to our homelands. That Homelands disc, I believe it brought our audience in on a more personal level as we opened up about our heritages. That also resonated with our audiences. So we had traveled to our homelands. We now felt it time to all convene here in the land of Lincoln, and celebrate this great city of Chicago, where incidentally I was born and raised, and where the trio all met, and where we all presently live and work. We felt it was time to honor the composers who greatly contributed to the cultural molding and refashioning of this great city of Chicago, and Bacon and Sowerby really fit that bill. And that's Ernst Bacon and Leo Sowerby. We'll be talking about Mm -hmm. them both. In fact, this album Mm -hmm. presents the mid-20th century, even though Bacon's piece is from later than then. His career really spanned almost the entire 20th century. And then the second album Mm -hmm. will be called Trios from Contemporary Chicago. So obviously that will be more recent works. And in fact, the album starts with a world premiere, I should mention, of the second piano trio, a very laden life work Mm. by Ernst Bacon, who was born in Chicago in 1898 and actually lived until 1990. The trio is from 1987, so you can see it's a very late work. He enrolled at Northwestern University at the age of 19 and pursued a degree actually in mathematics, then moved on to Mm -hmm. the University of Chicago three years later, and then finally got his master's Mm -hmm. in composition at Berkeley in 1935. When he was still 19, he actually wrote a treatise titled Our Musical Idiom that explored all possible harmonies, but when it came time to composing himself, he took a much less doctrinaire approach, and one of the remarkable things about it is how he loves to incorporate folk song into his material. Mm -hmm. And speaking of song, he's probably best known, in fact, as a composer of art songs. He wrote a good 250 of them. 
several of which incidentally appear on a CD album from a couple of years ago with baritone Thomas Hampson called Songs from Chicago, and he is one of five Chicago composers represented on that album. I should also note that Bacon won a Pulitzer Fellowship in 1932 for his second symphony, as well as three Guggenheim Fellowships, so he was certainly very much a celebrated composer in his day. Let's talk a little bit about this trio. Marta, how would you describe it, and what do you like so much about it? This trio, it's a work with mostly Italian traditional tempo markings, but the content is infused with American influences, marches, folk song melodies, ragtimes, and jazz rhythms. What I like about this trio, it's definitely a fun trio to play. I enjoy the melodies and the variety of the themes and the various movements. I think I would describe it more as a compilation of themes and styles and melodies, more so than a development of them. It's beautiful, it's simple music, not necessarily simple to play, but it is actually quite skillful the way he composes. But it's music without airs. It's honest, it's genuine, and a clear portrait of his portrayal of the American spirit. Well, let me read a little bit from our program notes in the album, which are written by Eleanor Olin, who used to be the program Mm -hmm. note writer for Music in the Loft, incidentally. But here, actually, Mm -hmm. I'm going to read a quote from Ellen Bacon, the composer's widow, who has this to say. The trio number two was composed when Bacon was in his late 80s. Its large proportions combine the vigor of more youthful works with the increasing profundity of age. Bacon believed that all music, whether vocal or instrumental, should retain an essential connection with humanity, not only with the human voice in its rich scope of expressiveness, but also with the body and its movements of walking, running, waltzing, romping, and so forth. Like most of his chamber works, the trio number two is full of melodic ideas derived from his own art songs as well as from folk songs and dances. And in the notes, she actually indicates in some cases which songs are being quoted in various places. And yes, I want to agree with what you just said. Bacon's music is vocally conceived as it's just so lyrical. I had a conversation on the phone with Ellen Bacon, Bacon's wife, in preparation for this disc. And she told me that he was an avid hiker and climber, and he just adored American geography and landscape. He was also longtime friends with Ansel Adams, and... Just as Ansel portrayed his love for America and his photography, and Walt Whitman and Melville in their literature, I truly believe Bacon wanted, as a composer, to express the spirit of America through his music. And then we talked about the marches, the folk songs, the melodies, ragtime, jazz rhythms, all included in this marvelous six-movement work. That's a great point. Um, It's a big work. It's over a half hour, and it's in six movements. And in fact, the first movement is actually in two parts with a break in between. So it's almost like seven movements. We'll take it a couple movements at a time. And the first movement is in two separate parts. So it starts off slow. It's a lento. But then in the much shorter second part is very American sounding, and it's titled In Deliberate March Time. And to contrast with that march, the second movement is titled In an Easy Walk, and it really sounds like a walk in the park to me. How would you describe this Mm -hmm. movement? Yes, you can almost imagine oneself wandering, whistling the tune. It's simple, easygoing material. becomes a little more intense and emphatic until it just stumbles upon this piano cadenza. 
He turns the corner and there's just a blistering of hundreds, thousands of piano notes. And then from there, the movement returns to the more raunchy, jazz-like take on that simple whistling tune from the beginning. And the movement ends in a more defiant, confident manner than the simple beginning. It's good to have that description, Marta, but I was inclined to play the first part. There's a really nice sense of rubato, I think, in this performance that really makes it feel like an easy walk. So here is the first part of the second movement of the sixth movement, second piano trio by Chicago composer Ernst Bacon, as performed by the Lincoln Trio.
You just heard an excerpt of the second movement of the Piano Trio Number no. 2, composed in 1987 by Chicago composer Ernst Bacon in its world premiere recording by the Lincoln Trio on an album titled Trios from the City of Big Shoulders. And I'm here on this podcast talking with pianist Marta Aznavourian of the Lincoln Trio. And we're taking this piece a bit at a time because it's got six movements. So going ahead, the third movement is titled Gravely Expressive. And this is, you could say, maybe the emotional heart of the work. What do you think? Yes, the cello is featured here in a very quiet meditation with the expressive harmonies in the piano murmuring behind him. It's quite beautiful. Well, and then we come to the fourth movement, which is, frankly, I think I would say it's a hoot. In the notes, Eleanor Olin describes it as a jazz-influenced romp, practically a hoedown. Is there anything you'd want to add to that? It's incredibly fun to play, as it sounds. The piano has that ragtime quality Mm -hmm. to it. Interesting to note that Bacon was inspired by the ragtime movement in San Francisco. He was there in the 1930s, where he took up a position at the San Francisco Conservatory of Music, and there was a big ragtime movement going on at that time, and you can hear his influence of that period. Well, excellent point. Let's let people hear this then. So this is the first part of the fourth movement of the sixth movement, second piano trio of Chicago composer Ernst Bacon. Once again, we hear the Lincoln Trio. Thank you. 
wasn't that fun. So that was the first part of the fourth movement from the sixth movement trio, written in 1987 by Chicago composer Ernst Bacon in its world premiere recording by the Lincoln Trio on an album titled Trios from the City of Big Shoulders on CD Records. And if you like what you're hearing, and I certainly hope you are, you can get this album directly from Sadie Records at cedillerecords.org or anywhere else albums are sold, physical albums like Amazon.com or Archive Music. If you prefer to download your music, of course, it's available in places like iTunes. And if you want to stream it, it's on all the major services, whether it be Spotify or Apple Music or the high-end services like Primephonic or Idagio. You'll be able to hear it on those streaming services when it's officially released on June 11 of this year, 2021. And that's when albums, including albums you pre-order, will ship as well. Let's wrap up our discussion of the Bacon Trio. There's two more moments to go. The fifth moment is kind of an interlude. It's marked Komodo and then follows immediately by a much more lively movement marked Vivace. So what would you want to say about these? I love the Komodo movement. The harmonies are sadly sweet. It's inward movement featuring, you know, a sad reflective melody in the piano. And I like how Ellie Olin in her CD notes wrote with a gentle breeze of an accompaniment in the strings. I think that sets a lovely, exactly true to what this sounds like. The strings take over the melody with the piano. Then the piano is written in by the composer as a mere murmur. So it's a beautiful movement. It's one of my favorites. And it moves on to quite a big ending. Oh, yes. In the sixth movement, these insistent triplet passages, which morphs into a syncopated folk dance melody between the violin and the cello, then it turns suddenly into this sunny, reflective section. It reminds me of major works of Brahms. There's always this reflective passage right before the end, a reflective passage of hope right before the inevitable, stormy, emphatic finale. And that's exactly what Bacon does in this movement. I don't know if he had Brahms in mind at the time, but it reminded me of Brahms' works. Bacon was actually born just a year after Brahms's death and actually met in Vienna with musicians who knew Brahms, one of whom commented, quote, I had to wait for a pianist from the American Corn Belt to play Brahms's pieces as he himself played them. And Ellen Bacon, his widow, also notes that Bacon had indeed a similar physique to Brahms, including his somewhat heavy-set hands. But you know what I mean by those Brahms, those moments where it's always there and it's reflective of hope, and then inevitably, nope, it just comes back to that emphatic finale. The second piece on this album, Trios from the City of Big Shoulders, is from arguably the greatest composer associated with Chicago, at least of the composer of the past. And this is Leo Sowerby, who lived from 1895 to 1968. He was born in Grand Rapids. He lived almost the entirety of his life in Chicago, moving here as a boy for his musical studies and staying. When he was only 17, the Chicago Symphony Orchestra premiered his violin concerto in 1913, and he quickly became essentially de facto composer-in-residence for the orchestra during the entire tenure of Frederick Stock, wonderful Mm -hmm. music director of Chicago's past. Uh, He was also awarded the Rome Prize in 
1921, as well as the Pulitzer Prize for Music in 1946 for his cantata, The Canticle of the Sun, which incidentally is recorded on mm-hmm. CD Records with the Grant Park Orchestra and Chorus. In the 1920s and 30s, Sowerby was the American composer most often programmed by American orchestras nationwide. He was really a big deal, very much prized by colleagues such as Howard Hansen and Samuel Barber. Barber, receiving his own commission for a choral work, once wrote, quote, Damn it, Leo, I wish I could write for chorus like you. He was the organist and choir master at Chicago's St. James Episcopal Cathedral, later for 35 years, spent the last half dozen years of his life in Washington as he became the founding director of the College of Church Musicians at the Washington National Cathedral. So quite a figure here, and he's best known for his organ and choral music, in part because he left terrible editions, or really only like manuscripts, of so many of his major instrumental works, something we've been trying to do something about. Sadie actually started recording Sowerby's music in the 1990s with some of his orchestral works, his marvelous Second Symphony, and many of his tone poems and overtures as well. I mentioned we recorded his Pulitzer Prize winning cantata as as well, and there's some other works. I think this is the first major chamber work we've recorded, and really is one of his major works, this trio, which is a masterpiece. It's 37 minutes long. I would argue that it's the most impressive trio written by an American composer, and I know that Marta in the course of working on this piece, you've grown to be very fond of Sowerby's music as well. Can you talk about that? I really have, Jim. It surprised me how quickly I took to him, and I'm always finding something new in his music. Even this piece that I go back to occasionally, I'm still finding new things. It's quite an intense trio. It's a major scale work. In general, though, I'd like to talk about two different things of Sowerby. One is his use of harmony, and the other is his use of structure. His harmony is very uniquely Sowerby. You know, many composers have their own harmonic language. Messian comes to mind, Scriabin comes to mind. And I really found that Sowerby too has his own harmonic language. And once I clicked into this language, the learning came surprisingly easy. Not that this music is easy to learn or to play, You're never going to get a simple three-note chord out of Sowerby. Chords are incredibly expansive, sometimes adding 13, 14, 15 notes. Yet there's a logic and a color to the harmony that it's very compelling. It's modern. It sounds modern to me, but it's traditional at the same time. It's uniquely Sowerby. His melodies soar with a lyrical intensity. And like Bacon, his instrumental music is just so lyrical. Now the structure... Sowerby brings a symphonic scope to his compositions. Sometimes two staves in the piano are just not enough for him. So he adds a third staff, like two isn't difficult enough for us pianists. The harmonies, they're rich, yet they're modern, and they support what he does structurally. It's a very vertical and expansive structure, and that colorful harmony, it can be transparent, just has room to breathe in this vast structure. And that is describing, I believe, one of your excerpts in the first movement. I would add that underlying that structure is an absolute mastery of counterpoint and the way themes get weaved in and out of the different parts. It's interesting what you were saying about him being both modern and traditional at the same time, and I think that's been one of the 
perhaps reasons that Sowerby's music went into decline in the second half of the 20th century when at least academia very much turned against more traditional harmonic music. As Eleanor Olin quotes in her notes, Sowerby was, quote, accused by right-wingers of being too dissonant and cacophonous and by leftists of being old-fashioned and derivative. (laughs) As we both mentioned, the scale of this work is just tremendous. The first moment alone is almost 15 minutes. And the way Ellie Olin describes it in the notes, I think, is just right. She says, at times virtuosic, at times reflective, the continually evolving rhythmic and harmonic interplay between instruments is a hallmark of this work. And I think you'll hear that in this excerpt from the middle of the movement, which begins with a reprise of the very haunting opening theme of the movement, which is marked slow and solemn. Sowerby wrote all his indications in plain English, and then moves on to a section titled simply Fast, which begins somewhat playfully, but quickly becomes more fraught and full of angst. So here is a portion of the middle of the first movement of the 1953 piano trio by Leo Sowerby, as performed by the Lincoln Trio.
You just heard a portion of the first movement of the Three Movements Piano Trio by Chicago composer Leo Sowerby on a recording by the Lincoln Trio coming out in June 2021 on Sadie Records. And on this Classical Chicago podcast, I'm talking to Marta Aznavorian, the pianist of the Lincoln Trio. Let's move on now to the second movement. This is another big moment. This one's over 13 minutes Mm -hmm. on its own, which really contrasts with the first moment that's so full of angst and fraught. Uh, For me, adjectives that come to mind for this moment are ethereal, tender. I would even go so far as to call it filled with love. It really is. And we're going to hear an excerpt from the beginning of the movement, not quite the start of the movement, which opens with violin and cello muted alone. Then the piano comes in with, and this is the part we'll hear, with chords that are marked in the score bell-like, and that's a perfect description, I think. And then they lead into what Eliolin calls a quiet ballad for violin and cello that is really gorgeous. So here is a sample of the second moment of the 1953 Piano Trio by Chicago composer Leo Sowerby, once again, the Lincoln Trio. Thank you. 
You just heard a portion of the second movement of the Piano Trio by Chicago composer Leo Sowerby as performed by the Lincoln Trio on their new album, Trios from the City of Big Shoulders. And this certainly is a big trio. Let's move on to the third movement now, which we heard a brief bit of at the beginning of this podcast. I would describe this movement as nine minutes of unrelenting virtuosity. (laughs) How hard is this to play, Marta? Well, it's definitely a frenetic, a perpetual motion to start. Perhaps it's Sauerby's Erlkönig, but we had fun working on this movement. If you listen carefully, you hear clusters of chords. At first, it was difficult for me to learn those, but then once I found the language, the chords began to fit easy in the hand the more I familiarized with the harmonic language. It's got a lot of energy. It doesn't stop from beginning to end. Then the string players interrupt with this march rhythm, very defiant, stated melody, which sounds like it's full of struggle the first time it comes, yet when it comes at the end of the movement, it's more of a triumph. And in fact, it's the one place it slows down a bit is the first appearance of the march. But then when you bring it back at the end, it comes back much faster and leads into that really huge ending. (laughs) Yes, big scope, symphonic scope. (laughs) I thought it'd be fun to basically pick up where we left off at the beginning of the podcast can just continue with the moment right there. So you'll hear more of that super fast part. And then we'll go into through that first appearance of the march. This is the one place in the trio that really sounds to me very American, very Ivesian. Mm. Yes, and the rhythms. Yes, the sharp American-like rhythm. All right, well, let's hear that then. So here is a portion of the third movement of this trio by Chicago composer Leo Sowerby. Once again, we hear the Lincoln Trio. Thank you. 
the music really makes a great impact. That was from the third moment and last moment of the trio by Leo Sowerby, written in 1953. And I think the impact of that Marta, and my guest on this podcast is pianist Marta Osnivorian of the Lincoln Trio, which you just heard. The impact comes not only from the really committed playing of the Lincoln Trio, which is so marvelous, but also I think the engineering of CD Records engineer Bill Malone. What was it like working with him on these sessions? Oh, this is an easy question. I'd love to talk about Bill. Bill is always truly a pleasure to work with. We've worked with him on all of our discs with CD. First of all, he's always receptive to our ideas of how our instruments should sound and blend. He's patient, and he has a wonderful, casual, and easy way of problem-solving and finding solutions to various issues that inevitably arise, like a light that has a slight buzz (laughs) sound to it or the air conditioning that we can hear the hum. And during the actual recording process, he's supportive and positive without being overbearing. He, of course, has an acute, brilliant ear. Sometimes in a certain passage, if I want to go in the back and listen to it, I'll look at him and like, do you think we have it? And I'll always listen to his response and be satisfied with it, whether it's sounds good to me or we could probably do one more. You know, I'm satisfied with the answer and follow suit accordingly. He's definitely committed to capturing the artist's vision, and usually he ends up surprising us with how good it really does sound at the end. Well, and it's been my pleasure as a producer to work with Bill since Sadie was founded in the end of the 1980s. I'm very pleased to be the producer of this particular recording and can attest to how helpful Bill is to me when I'm back there with him listening through the sessions as well. When speaking of these sessions, of course, we recorded this album in the middle of 2020, really at the height of the pandemic, which we're still enduring as we record this podcast in March of 2021. My hope is by the time we release this podcast, things will have improved considerably with the vaccine and all. But what was the experience of recording mid-pandemic like? Well, we were incredibly fortunate to squeak our recording in at DePaul University in a brief lifted restriction period over the summer. So we were quite lucky. Of course, it was unusual spending long hours recording with masks on, but we survived. And I'm so glad you did, because I think the results Mm. speak for themselves. And now that we've heard excerpts from both pieces, let's talk a little bit about the choice to pair these works by Bacon and Sowerby and what you'd like listeners to take away from the album as a whole and how it fits this title, City of Big Shoulders. Well, these are two monumental trios written by two big, intense, strong, unique Chicago composers, both driven by their love for the American spirit. I should note that the album title actually comes from the Carl Sandburg poem titled Chicago, which he describes as the city of the big shoulders. We thought for the album title it worked better without the the. Yes. And that the album covers a really muscular photograph of 1950s Chicago, the era of the Leo Sowerby trio, adds to this impression. So, and I should note that this album kicks off CD Records, what we're calling our Summer of Sowerby, because our releases this summer, June, July, August, all contain music of Sowerby, and this is really one of Sowerby's major works, especially among his chamber music. I mentioned before we have quite a history of recording Sowerby going back to the 1990s with some of his orchestral music that wonderful late Chicago conductor Paul Freeman conducted. We've also recorded his concert piece for organ and orchestra on our first album ever with the Grant Park Orchestra, and David Schrader was the soloist in that masterpiece of 
concerto writing, and of course his Pulitzer Prize-winning cantata, The Canticle of the Sun, as well. It's fair to say that this trio absolutely stands shoulder to shoulder with those major works. As the next two albums on CD will be an organ CD with David Schrader, which is a two-disc set music of the contemporary composer Frank Furco, erstwhile Chicago composer. So that's one disc, and then the other disc on this set is all Leo Sowerby major works for organ, including what is generally considered his masterpiece, the Organ Symphony in G Major. And then our last release of the summer in August will be an all-Sowerby album featuring works that Sowerby wrote for the Paul Whiteman Orchestra back mid-1920s for the same tour that produced Gershwin's Rhapsody in Blue. So if you've ever wanted to hear more pieces with that kind of jazz style to them, you will be in luck because this music really is from that era and that milieu. And the album will also include some string quartet pieces, including his marvelous first quartet, which is a world premiere, as are the Paul Whiteman pieces. Again, this has a lot to do with the fact that Sowerby did not leave proper performing editions of these works, something the Leo Sowerby Foundation is hoping to change so that more ensembles get to play these works. As mentioned earlier, this disc is part of a two-album project, the second album to be recorded this summer, 2021, titled Trios from Contemporary Chicago, and will include trios by composers who will be familiar to Sadie Records listeners, Stacey Garrup, Augusta Reed Thomas, and Shulamit Ron. Can you talk a little bit about this planned recording and how it dovetails with the one we've just been discussing? Just as we thought we would honor the Chicago composers of the past, we wanted to follow up with an honoring of the Chicago composers of our now and our future, many of which are now friends and colleagues of ours. As you mentioned, Augusta Reed Thomas, Shulamit Ron, Stacey Garrup, and hopefully a new commission that I think we're going to keep as a surprise. Well, I look forward to hearing more about that myself. <laughs> it brings me to a quote Bacon quoted from his book, Words on Music, art can passively reflect its times or it can actively mold its times. And the trio hopes that these two discs, these two Chicago discs, are considerable representations of both scenarios. Oh, that's very nice. We've talked a little <laughs> bit about your previous recording, the Grammy-nominated trios from our homelands being a very personal project to the members of the trio, and, and this one no less so. So can you talk about the importance of being able to choose your own personally fulfilling projects for recording? Well, as you know, Jim, recording, it takes a tremendous amount of work from organizing the concept, picking the program, attaining scores and music and finding a hall, of course, funding commissions, and not to even mention the actual recording days and all that goes into them. All of these things, they take time and a sustainable tenacity from the artist. I believe it just has to be more fulfilling for all involved if the project is driven by a passionate artist with a strong belief and love for his or her idea. And I would add, this has been one of my tenets you know, since founding CD is that it's so important to have artists playing the music they care most about because that's the music that will produce the most passionate and committed performances. Exactly. Marta, besides recording this album, how have you personally and the trio dealt with the COVID crisis and the resulting lack of public performances? Well, of course, it's been incredibly disappointing and difficult, all the closures of venues and cancellations of various concerts and series. But on the other hand, it was interesting and fun to see the imaginative ways performers got their music online. 
on Facebook, on YouTube. I personally took advantage by working on some future project ideas and organizing my sheet music and CD collection. I'm glad you mentioned that because I was just going to ask you what artistic responses to the pandemic and, of course, the concurrent racial justice crisis have you found the most inspiring? Art and music has so many powers to provoke, inspire, inform, and force new ways of thinking, particularly in times of crisis. And this year has been quite an example to that. It's been inspiring to see the various ways artists have been engaged in movements uh, and encouraging political participation through their art and calling attention to issues and tragic events. What is next for you personally and for the Lincoln Trio? And what's happening for the trio? Well, we'll be in North Carolina at the Newberry Opera House very soon, which will be our first out-of-state concert since the pandemic. So we're looking forward to that. We are recording a commission from composer Deborah Kay for the Howland Chamber Music Circle. And Ravinia is back for the summer. So we'll be on the pavilion stage, which is outdoors, a COVID-friendly hall. So we're so excited about that. And of course, we're continuing our current residency at the Merritt School of Music here in Chicago. And this summer, I believe you personally have some recording sessions for CD coming up in addition to the ones with the trio. Yes, my sister Ani Osnavorian and I are going to be putting a compilation of Armenian music together, which is, of course, our heritage. And we're very excited to put this disc together, music by Arna Babajanian and Komitas who was a incredible, prolific Armenian composer and priest. This recording with Ani is really an all-in-the-family affair because not only are you sisters, but Ani's instrument, her cello, has a family pedigree as well, correct? Yes, my father, Peter Osnavorian, made her cello, and he scrolled a beautiful A in the head of the scroll for her. So it is undeniably her cello with her initial on it. So it's a beautiful instrument and she loves playing on it. We were performing a month ago in South Carolina and it sounded marvelous. So yes, we're looking forward to hearing it on the CD recording. <laughs> and I should note it's been heard once before on CD because Ani some years ago did an album of the Russian-American composer Lara Auerbach's music on that cello, and it's a spectacular mm -hmm. sound, yes. both the playing and the instrument. So I'm very excited about Good. this Armenian recording. We get to finally record the summers. This one has been in the works for a long time. Yes. So it sounds like venues are starting to open up for you guys. Yes, slowly but surely. I think the wheel is starting to turn again. <laughs> and not a moment too soon. Finally, I like to end these podcasts, and you certainly, coming from a Chicago family, have much to contribute to this question that we always end these classical Chicago podcasts with, which is, what makes the Chicago music scene so special? Chicago has one of the most exciting music scenes in the country. We're the birthplace of many influential genres, such as house and modern gospel or Chicago-style blues, jazz. It's a hotbed for new and exciting musical innovations. We have many active, celebrated contemporary composers living here in Chicago. Tremendous talent, innovative ensembles, 8th Blackbird, 3rd Coast Percussion, and Pacifica Quartet, who just won a Grammy. We are thrilled for them, very well-deserved. We have an incredible record label, Cédie, of course, an imperative source for us artists to document our music and distribute it all over the world. We have Ravinia, Grand Park, Symphony Center, Green Mill, and let's not forget WFMT, Chicago's classical and folk music radio station. <laughs> 
with so many programs exploring genres of folk and jazz as well as classical. Their programming features impromptu and Monday Night Live from the studio, and they also support the younger, aspiring musician on their Saturday morning introductions program. WFMT is a wonderful gem of Chicago and just yet another supportive aspect of the thriving musical scene here in Chicago. Well, and speaking of contemporary music, the Lincoln Trio certainly does its part performing and commissioning contemporary works. Yes, we adore our local composers. We've become friends with them. They are incredibly celebrated. They're doing well. They're doing great. They don't even need us. Um, (laughs) But we are fortunate to have access to them, and they've been very good to us. It's a beautiful synergy of support for one another that makes Chicago so special. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Marta. My guest on this Classical Chicago podcast, episode 44, has been Marta Osnivorian, pianist of the Lincoln Trio, whose new album, Trios from the City of Big Shoulders, releases on June 11, 2021. I'm Jim Ginsberg, founder and president of Sadie Records and host of these podcasts. Thank you so much for listening. <laughs>